You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. But anyway, we're going to continue on with this series called The Gospel of Matthew, Following Jesus in the Midst of Chaos. We've been using the text of Matthew to reflect on what the message was to the Jewish people at the time, not just to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. They were in utter chaos, and we're going to unpack that again. So what, what did the stories that Matthew included speak to those people? And so would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? We're going to read a very popular passage of scripture, and it's called The Temptations of Jesus, where he was tempted. How many of you know that passage? Okay. So we're going to be taking a whole different approach to this. I'll share it in just a moment. But come on, verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 4, let's read together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that as we study the word today, that it does more than just help us to understand. We want it to influence us. We ask that the things that the word tells us would transform our mind, our processes, help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our mind, our heart, and our spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated today. So this is a, a passage that's also spoke about in one of the other Gospels. It's often preached, I say, in an isolated fashion. What do I mean by that? It's a text that you can preach and not necessarily have to go to the context of the book. And so usually that's what happens. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is another message that comes out of this when you put it within the context of the particular book that it was written in, and this one, Matthew. And so I'm not even going to try to, I'm not even going to be preaching today what you would typically think. Most of you are already in the mindset of, oh, he's going to be talking about the three sayings, the three temptations, how Jesus responded, and he's going to go to there, and, and that's what the message is. And I'm going to say, no. I'm not doing that today. I'm going to do that next week. So by the time I put all this together, I had more than enough material to go quite lengthy. 
So I divided it in half. So I'm going to set it up. What, what's this other perspective of the story? Then next Sunday I'll be talking about actually the temptations themselves as it relates also what Jesus' response was to those temptations. But we want to go back to some things I've laid the foundation on before, and that's text without context leads to pretext. So I, I want us again to get the mindset, what's going on that this passage would be spoken to these Jews, and here's what's happened thus far. In 64 AD, Rome was burnt to the ground, Christians got blamed, and the slaughter of Christians began. Then in 70 AD, Rome shows up and levels Jerusalem. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. Many were taken into captivity as slaves, and the rest were just running around the world trying to save their life and whatever they had left. And so that's when Matthew writes his gospel. It would have been, it would have been a thought then that he's writing at the pinnacle of destruction and disaster, and actually things got worse because in 79 AD, nine years later, Pompeii, the, the uh, volcano erupts, which was a major port city in the middle of the Mediterranean, it erupts and just buries Pompeii. And some of you have seen where people were buried in ash and they still are uncovering them in their frozen position. So in, in about 19 years or about 20 years, you have, or uh, I should say 16 years, you have three major cities wiped out. And so you can see the mindset of people would be like, where, especially these people, they were followers of Yahweh, of God, but they had not accepted who Christ was. And trust me, how the Holy Spirit was now being communicated, they always knew there was a spirit, but how the Holy Spirit was being presented now, they were resistant to that. They were, tell me about Yahweh. And their questions would have been, why is he letting all this happen? Why is he doing this to us? Why did Yahweh let his house be destroyed by pagans. We understand Rome being burnt to the ground. Hey, that's a, that's a pagan city. But why was our city destroyed? Why was our house of worship destroyed? Why were so many of our people wiped out? Why, were, why are so many of us enslaved? And why are the rest on the run for their life? So they were having a lot of questions. And I want you to just think of this. And why would Matthew think the story of the temptations of Jesus would be important? I mean, you're almost kind of like, I know Jesus had a lot of stuff to say. I'm just not sure this might not be the appropriate story for what they're talking. Has anybody had somebody start to tell the story and you just had no, you had no idea what it had to do with what the topic was? And you're just kind of going like, you really need to hurry up and land this plane. <laughs> you know, you kind of get to this and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going with this, Matthew. I mean, these folks have got some serious questions. I'm not sure how this story speaks. Here's the problem that you and I have. We don't see what we're not looking for. You know what that's like. You know, you're driving down the road, and then there's a police officer, and he pulls you over. You didn't see him. You know why? Because you weren't looking. And then after that, you start looking. <laughs> then you start seeing him. You know, it's just, it's amazing what you start to see when you start looking for something, right? But when you're not looking for something, you don't see it. And it's the same way. Because we're not in that and because we don't have some of those questions that people get in the middle of catastrophe, we miss a lot of the, I call it messaging in the stories that Matthew selected. Yeah, he's trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also appealing to their, to their faith and what they understand because these aren't godless people, okay? They accept Yahweh. They accept God the Father. 
they're not just sure that Jesus is the Messiah and running into this Holy Spirit is more than they can handle. So they're just, they're good with God. Sounds like a lot of American Christians, right? They're just, you know, let's just stop here. And so when you read this story, you pick up so much. So let's begin to look at this. In the midst of life's difficulties, it can be hard to reconcile our beliefs about the spiritual world in a relationship to the physical world. When the world is imploding in front of you and the world that you live in is imploding, it's hard to reconcile the spiritual world out there that you can't see with everything that's happening in front of you. The, the, the real life experiences just have a way of drowning out our understanding of the spiritual world. Even good, good people who love God. And so, as a follower of Christ, let's ask this. What is a biblically balanced view of the spirit world as it relates to our physical world? In other words, yeah, we acknowledge there's something out there that's not necessarily physical, but it's real. So what's a, what's a balance here? Like, Because how many know it doesn't work to pay your bills with spiritual money. <laughs> Let me just give you some advice. Don't try to do that. Okay, they, they, want like the, they want real currency, real deal, and they don't want it coming off of your printer. <laughs> right? I mean, they want real, certified, approved money, right? So there's this tension between, well, you know, there's my physical world, there's my spiritual world, and we have to manage both of those. Now, just even saying that, make some people uncomfortable, and I'm going to make you further uncomfortable. Do you want to hear what the title of the message today is? Demons and angels. Yeah, notice, whoa. Yeah, yeah. We're going to, because what, we just read a story that because you weren't looking for it, you missed the volume and the theology that Matthew had put into the story. So I, we're, we're going to, okay, let's just look at this. Jesus had a conversation with Satan, right? Did you know today a lot of churches would not let Jesus come and tell his testimony? Yeah, I was uh, out in the wilderness, and the devil showed up, and he tried to tempt me, and then we went to church. It says he went up on the temple, right? So the devil goes to church. Right? And then we went to a mountain. You know, just the whole fact that Jesus is having a dialogue with Satan. Most pastors would go, you know, I really don't need you to go there today. We got people, they just can't handle that. It's a little overwhelming. They're still new. Jesus, can you just kind of tone it down? Can you, how about you just say, I was tempted. I was you don't have to give the orientation like you're actually having a conversation with the devil. Just tell them that, you know, there was this temptation. This is how you handle it. Could you soften it? And then it says at the end that angels came and attended him. That's another, anybody would go, just say that God answered. Come on, you know that's what would be happening, right? Like tone it down, don't go there, you're going to freak everybody out. That's what people would tell the Son of God today. And yeah, here's the story. So, I am, listen, I am going to be true to the biblical text and not to American preferences. That was only about a third of you because I was taking notes. <laughs> See, the rest, some of you are going, I don't know if I like where this is going. Uh, I'm sticking with the text, okay? I want to show you what he's showing them, okay? I want you to, so here's a key question that reveals 
a lot about what I believe, you believe, anybody believes. Here, this is a key question, okay? And the question is this. This, review, this reveals our view of the spiritual world, how you see it. The question is this. It's three ways to answer this question. Three, three questions. Number one is this. Are we just beings, physical beings, having a biological moment in the, in the universe? That's evolution. Okay? We're just physical beings having a biological expression, and when it's done, you're done. There's nothing out there. There's, it's, it's, you, you don't even know that you died. It's just blank. That's evolution. That says a lot about how you see the spiritual world. The next question, though, is this. If you're not that, then the question, are, you, are we physical beings having a spiritual experience? So this is elevating the physic, physicality of a person over spirituality because what I am physically is more important than I am spiritually. So I'm just having experiences as spiritually, but it's really about me. So again, you come back to somewhat of a spiritual narcissism. It's about me. And whatever spiritual experiences I can find. So I'm defining the fact that there may not be anything definitive. It's spirituality is based on what works for you. And then the third way to ask this question is this. Or are we spiritual beings having a physical experience? Was I a spirit being before I was born? Physically. And will I be a spiritual being after my physical body dies? See, I think the... The right one is the last one. We are spirit beings who are having a physical experience. And when this physical experience is over, our spirit continues. You with me? Now, I know you just went, you just went super duper deep. I promise that's as deep as it's going to get right there. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to get so philosophical. You're like, I'm still hung up on pastor's intro today. But if you process that, it says a lot Whichever one you accept as your perspective, it actually reveals a lot of your ability to absorb spiritual truth. Because if you think you're a physical being having a biological moment, who cares about all this, right? If you think you're a physical being just having an experience, you just want to have some basic learning. And, and, but you're, you're pretty well open to any kind of spirituality that comes down the pipe because it's whatever works for you. So that means that you're going to be easy to deceive because there's no basis of absolute truth whereby any spiritual experience can be measured. Hmm. So I said, when you start unpacking this, it says a lot about which statement I think defines me. It says so much about me. You all with me? So he goes, so let me just say this. Matthew is saying this, you guys are physical beings who are your spiritual beings who are having a physical experience. So let me explain to you why all this stuff is happening and how it relates to the spirit world. So let's go to point number one. Let's read it out loud. The reality of a spiritual world in a physical world. As I said, these are followers. They accept Yahweh, the Father. They just don't buy into the concept of a Jesus. And, the way, and I say this, they buy into the spirit they just aren't buying into how it's now being presented. Sounds like a lot of American Christians, doesn't it? Well, I accept the Spirit, but you know, some of that stuff there in Corinthians, let's just say it's overdone and past gone. Why? Because we just don't want to go there. It has nothing to do with theology. It has to do with comfort. Oh, come on. I know I hit where you live. So notice... 
the world of spirituality that he introduces in the story of Jesus and these temptations. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, he says to be tempted by the devil. It doesn't say a demon. It says the devil. We got the head honcho of hell here. He has not delegated this to somebody else. He himself has shown up and he has taken on some form whereby he is able to converse with Jesus. Let me just say this. Darkness has power. I didn't say darkness has ultimate power. I said darkness has power. And this is why you better understand why having a clear understanding of spirituality and the resources that God gave to us. Because human power cannot beat demonic power. The Garden of Eden proved that. Okay, then we read in Matthew chapter 4 verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, wow, now the demon's talking, the devil's talking. Then you come to Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I said a little earlier, great, now the devil goes to church. He even knows his way around. Then you come to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The devil has the power to have a more bigger vision than a human has a vision. Then we come to this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Then the devil left. That's probably the best scripture right there. <laughs> so it tells us the devil has the ability to come. It, has, it tells us the devil has the ability to show his power. It has, tells us that the devil has the ability to put temptations. But it also says the devil can leave. Okay? And then you come to this, Matthew chapter 4, 11. And angels came and attended him. Wow. So in the absence of darkness, some light better show up. Hmm. He's given them the reality of a spiritual... Notice, notice it. I just gave uh, seven instances of a spirit world from one story. Seven. Does that tell you there is a spirit world? And he is trying to show these people who are wrapped up in the tragedy of a physical world, he's trying to show them, please understand there's more than what you see with your eye. He's not saying that what's happening isn't real. He's just saying there's more to it than what you're seeing with your eye. And he's showing the example of Jesus. There was not just what Jesus saw, it's also what was happening in the spirit. So let me give you an example. If, if you go to the gospel, it's amazing how he paints a picture. The Jewish people, when they read the gospel of Matthew, would have picked this up. You and I don't because we're not looking for it. But they would have immediately gravitated to some of these passages because of the frequency. Look at Matthew's gospel. He mentions angel or angels 19 times. Let me preach a message on and 19 times, talk about angelic activity. You know, you would just go, why? Pa Pastor just seems to live a little consumed on the angels today. And then he mentions the Holy Spirit 12 times. And then he mentions dreams six times. And then he mentions either demon or demons 18 times. He mentions spirits, either evil or unclean, four times. He mentions the name devil, uses the name devil six times, and then he uses his name Satan three times. All in one book. 
What I want you to see is he's trying to help them see there's more than what is happening in the physical world. There is another dimension of activity. There is another dimension of battle that is happening, and he's painting it with his gospel. Like I said, you and I, we don't pick it up because we don't, we're not looking for that. After all, we're just trying to dissect the teachings of Jesus one at a time. And Matthew says, oh no, man, this is a portrait I'm giving you. And you got to hang with it, and you got to pick these things up. And what he's showing is spiritual warfare, the spiritual world is a part of our daily life. Now, let me just say this. That doesn't mean we walk around all woo-wish. Have you ever run into people who are so spiritual? It, it's, everything's woo-woo. And he's like, dude, you know, relax, okay? This doesn't mean that we start acting weird, okay? It... it you know, just have a normal conversation with people. See, part of this, too, is sometimes when people get into things like this, they are, some of their behaviors don't come from the Bible. Some of their behaviors come from mysticism. We're, listen, we're, we're just, we're normal people who acknowledge there's a spiritual world, and I don't get whacked out just because I acknowledge there's a spiritual world. It doesn't mean I have a vocabulary that's so weird that you can't understand me. Okay? It's, I'm, I'm a real person, right? We don't, how many know, we don't lose our flesh and blood. Okay? It's both. Not either or. It's both. Now, let's begin to look at this. Number two, read it out loud. The wilderness experiences in our lives reveal who we are and make us who we are. It reveals what we are, who we are. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, and where did the Spirit take him? Okay, that was poor response. Let's try it again. Jesus was led by the Spirit, and he went where? Wilderness. wilderness. Have you ever felt like your life just got sent into the wilderness? And you went, God, what did I do wrong? You, God may have taken you there. It may be God's will that you're in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness is where you find out what you are made out of and who you are. And what you, it can develop you. And I don't know about you, but some of my experiences have been this way. I thank God that wilderness experience is over. I thank God that I have learned, let's not do that again. I don't, I don't like it. Because when you go into the wilderness, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what the next decision needs to be. You don't know the resources. Sometimes you don't even know the end goal. You're just like, I, I really like my, is there any compulsive people in the room that can identify? I really like to know where we're going, how we're going, and when we're getting there. And who's paying the bill. I just want to know. Wilderness experiences don't allow you any of that. And that's really where you find out what you're made out of. It's also a place that God can remake you into something that you weren't when you went out there. But coming back, see, everybody wants the promised land as the goal. But what they don't understand is, is between here and the promised land is a thing called the wilderness full of unpredictable circumstances and challenges and frustrations, twists and turns, things you could not anticipate. And what, what the other, so if you look at this, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After four, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now notice in six, 
It showed him who he was. Satan says, if you're the son of God. Well, he wouldn't have put that out there unless he knew he was the son of God. So sometimes in the wilderness, what you find is this. You go to the wilderness. Okay, it's one thing to go to the wilderness and John the Baptist, who's on your side, who loves you, says you're the son of God. Well, hey, amen, let's fist pump, baby. It's another thing to go to the wilderness and the enemy has to acknowledge who you are. You're the son of God. That's a di- it's a different kind of affirmation. Even darkness knows who you are. Oh. So I said, in the wilderness, you find out what you're made out of, what you can become, what you need to be. And sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's not so fun. It's hard, it's difficult. So we have to, and by the way, I'm, I'm kind of getting into the next point. It's a good idea that if you go to the wilderness to have the Holy Spirit go with you. Not even Jesus went to the wilderness without the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And that takes me to my next point. Everybody read it out loud. The Holy Spirit is essential for spiritual life in a physical world. As I said, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So not even Jesus would take on the wilderness without the Holy Spirit. What does that say about us in our life? It's key to have... Now, again, I've got to take you... Let's take a step back. These are people who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord, as the Messiah, and they are questioning how the Spirit is being presented. And Matthew lays this out. You don't want to go into, not even the Son of God went into the wilderness without the Holy Spirit. And what's happening to these Jewish people? They're all in the wilderness. They're either enslaved or being enslaved for Rome, which to them is going to the world, or they're actually on the run in the wilderness. And he's saying, not even Jesus had the wilderness experience without the Holy Spirit. You people need not only Jesus, you need his spirit because you're in the wilderness like he was. You don't want to do this without his help. Now, I said that he paints a picture of the Holy Spirit, and he references it 12 times. Again, you and I don't see that because we're not reading the book this way to pick this up. But his 12 references to the Holy Spirit present a doctrine to people who question the Holy Spirit. So he's showing the activity of what the Holy Spirit does in daily life. So. I could, I could say this, there's a lot of American Christians who could connect to this because there's a lot of American Christianity that says, God the Father, God the Son, man, I'm all there. Holy Spirit, okay, let's just marginalize that and just camp out with God the Father and Jesus. Spirit, ugh, just stretches me, it's too hard. I don't know, I'm just uncomfortable. So let me, let me just share something here, okay? In Matthew, he speaks on it 12 times. I'm going to give you a set of numbers real quick that you need to hear so that you know the momentum of the New Testament church. Everybody give me these numbers. Repeat them back. I'm going to give you three numbers and say them back. 1750 and 125. You go to the Gospel of Luke, he talks about the Holy Spirit 17 times. He then wrote a sequel called Acts, and he wrote about the Holy Spirit 50 times. 
And then you come to all of Paul's writings and he mentions the Holy Spirit 125 times. Does that sound like they're wrapping it up? It sounds like to me they're winding up. Here we go. Luke is about when Jesus was here 17 times. Acts is after Jesus leaves. And what did the New Testament church do with everything that Jesus told them? Well, now we read about 50 references. And then we read about the churches that had been established. And now Paul's helping to establish them and get them going in their daily life. And he mentions the Holy Spirit 125 times. Basically, Paul is presenting the picture. You can't do church without the Holy Spirit. And he's showing them what happens. You get all these problems because you either aren't utilizing the Holy Spirit or you're abusing it. It's one of the two. He says, that's why you're all messing this up. Because you're not letting the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. You're abusing it or you're canceling it. So that's what I said. Keep that in mind. 1750, 125. That does not sound like a Holy Spirit that's being phased out. It sounds like he's being brought in. Amen? So i got to do this quickly. What's the theology that Matthew is presenting about the Holy Spirit? So we're gonna, I'm going to give you all 12 of them real quick. You ready? This is like speed theology. Here we go. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says that Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 1.20, it says again, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the number one thing that we read here is this. The Holy Spirit produces life. The Holy Spirit has been brought to bring life. That's what it does. It, it gives life. So let me pause here. It's not in the notes. Let me say this. If you're a couple here today, and you're trying to have kids, and you've been unable to conceive and have a child, I'd invite the Holy Spirit in my house. Because he's the giver of life. See, no matter where, if you're on the fence on this, that to me would settle it. We're in. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to give life. It brought forth the life of Jesus. We want life in our house. You need to go home, walk in your house and say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Because this house wants joy, it wants laughter, it wants the cry of a child. Bring life into our house. Amen? Amen. Then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He said Jesus is coming. The word baptize means immerse. So John the Baptist says this, Jesus is coming and he doesn't want you to put your toe in the Holy Spirit. He wants to sink you in it. He wants to bury you. He wants to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like you're just to kind of like feel things out? You know, if you're going to get immersed, how many know you're all... We, we, we have a swimming pool, you know, and when the, we open it up and the weather is starting to get good, the water's still cold. We have a policy in our house. Be aware of everyone's presence around the pool because they all want to push you in. Because it's cold. Everybody wants to see the reaction of what happened to you when you got to go to the water. You know, and there's, I can just tell you, that immersion enlightens all the senses, <laughs> including those who did the pushing. <laughs> Jesus says, I don't want you checking it out. I don't want you toe dipping. 
I'm here to put you in and put you under. Wow. That's what he's saying. Okay. Then, again, these are people who are just good with God the Father. We're just good with God. And he's like, oh, no. It's a package deal. Then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So now, listen, even Jesus had a moment where the Holy Spirit came on him. Whoa. Matthew 4, 1, we read, then Jesus was led into the, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Matthew 10, 20, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. He's giving the context of this. You can't prepare for all the divine appointments that are going to show up in your life. So you better have the Holy Spirit in your life to help you know what to say. Because you, you don't have the opportunity to always do all the homework that needs to be done for the divine appointment that you were going to have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had a friend, and you've had a lunch. You maybe went and get some coffee. You thought the conversation was about catching up, and then lo and behold, it transitioned because they transitioned the conversation. And now it's about God the Father and Jesus and getting your bearings and accepting Christ. And you're like, man, if I'd have known this was coming, I'd have studied hard last night. But you're not. There you are. The conversation was not announced. You didn't know that was the topic. And there it is. And your friend is asking for help. How many have ever walked away from the conversation? I know I have. How many of you ever walked away from a conversation going, Jesus, I don't know where all that came from, but I'm pretty sure I know the source. Thank you for helping me out because I did not know that was the topic of the day with that person. Holy Spirit says that's what he was given for. Then you have Matthew 12, 8, 18. Here is my sermon, her servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Notice, put his spirit on. God says his assignment requires the activity of the Holy Spirit. Well, if Jesus needed that for his activity, what about you and me? If, God need, if, it, if the Son needed it, you think you and I, I do. Then you come to Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by God's Spirit, or by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here's the other, like I said, welcome to getting uncomfortable. God says, if you're going to encounter darkness, if you're going to encounter the d- demonic, you better have the Holy Spirit. This is amazing to me. People say they always want to take a swing at darkness, and you can't take a swing at darkness with your human spirit. You have to take a swing at darkness with the Holy Spirit. If the evil spirit is, 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 is harassing and causing problems, you don't take a human spirit to combat an evil spirit. You take a holy spirit to go after the evil spirit. That's your only way to take a swing at darkness. Human, the human spirit has already lost. We lost it in the Garden of Eden. It showed us the human spirit is not strong enough and not capable. The enemy will always outsmart us. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. You go to Matthew 12, 31 and 32. It says, this is Jesus, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, and Jesus, that's him. Jesus says, if you speak a bad word about me, I can forgive you. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or in the age to come. He's saying, be careful how you treat the Holy Spirit. You can speak against me all you want. I'll forgive you. But the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is not what died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. 
It was his blood. Everybody got it? Yeah. So he's saying here, be careful how you treat the Holy Spirit here. Because he is a very unique and powerful spiritual entity that God has given us to continue the work of Jesus. All right. Matthew chapter 22, 30, 43 through 44. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will put your enemies under your feet. So all the descendants of David, he would have used the small L. But when he was referring to this, he said it's a big L. David was prophesying, The Messiah is going to be coming from my lineage. How could he possibly know that? Because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has the ability to reveal the future. I have said this many times when I pray. Please, God, put me in the right place at the right time. I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't know how to do it. In fact, if I try to do it, it implodes. I make, I make a situation worse because I tried to time. God, you've got to put me in the right place at the right time with the right person. I can't make that happen. But I know, listen, listen to me. The Holy Spirit can work in your tomorrows so that by the time you get there, most of it's already been handled. That's the prophetic nature of the Holy Spirit. I can't do much about tomorrow. I only have today. But I can pray for the Holy Spirit to start working in my tomorrows, in my next weeks, in my next month. And by the time I get there, wow, look at everything that got done. The Holy Spirit is prophetic. It knows no bounds. It can work into the future. Then Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is amazing because this is where Matthew takes all this activity about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He says, look, I know you, I know you, I know you got Yahweh. I know you got that down. But this is what he tells him. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what a profound summary that is to a group of people who weren't even sure about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And he's saying, you can no longer separate them. You no longer get your preference. He's one. You get it all. You need Yahweh, you need Yeshua, and you need the Holy Spirit. And now in American Christianity today, Western ideology, most people are good with Yahweh and Yeshua. Let's just not get into the woo-woo stuff. Hmm. And could it be... That's why we're not impacting society. Is that maybe that's why we're losing the culture wars? Because we're trying to fight demonic spirits with human spirit. And we're losing. Maybe it's time to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's time we take a swing at darkness with something that really does have a punch in it. Because I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit knows how to contact darkness and make an imprint. And it's amazing that God said, ask. 
and you'll receive. Wow, how easy is that? I just gotta be willing to be a little more stretched, a little more uncomfortable, but so be it. I'm tired of darkness winning. Amen? And if in order to stem that tide, I have to bring a little discomfort to my life, then so be it. But me, I'm tired of darkness winning. I'm tired of culture sliding. I want to see a pivot. I want to see a turn. I want to see a reformation. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap it up this morning. Come on, would you just lift your hands and I want you, listen, I don't want you just to praise him. I want you to start to ask him for the Holy Spirit in your life. Say, hey, Holy Spirit, if you have been sent to continue the work of Jesus, here I am. Fill me. Come into my life. Be a part of my expression. Come on, everybody. Lift your hands and say, wherever I'm at, increase your activity in my life. Holy Spirit, come. Come on, everybody. Lift your voice.